commandment. Usually defined in the Bible from Mitzvah In the Old Covenants and Doli In the New Covenants as an order, commandment, charge, precept, injunction. The Lord, in the Gospel of John says, If you love me, keep my commandments, John 9, paragraph 8. Modern revelation clarifies that a commandment is a communication that is sent by God. If you love me, stand ready, watching for every communication I will send to you. He that treasures my teaching, and stands ready, watching for every communication I send him, is he who shows love for me. If a man loves me, he will stand ready, watching for every communication I will send him. Testimony of St. John 10, paragraphs 11-12 As in the case of Adam and Eve who partook of the fruit out of season, mankind is commanded not to partake of some things out of season. Then they are commanded to partake within season. That which is wrong under one circumstance, may be, and often is, right under another. God said, Thou shalt not kill. At another time he said, Thou shalt utterly destroy. This is the principle on which the government of heaven is conducted, by revelation adapted to the circumstances in which the children of the kingdom are placed. Whatever God requires is right, no matter what it is, although we may not see the reason thereof till long after the events transpire. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 256. When man gets the timing wrong, he winds up with difficulties and problems he should not have encountered. You can gain a command of many skills in this life by study and formal education. You can acquire wealth by effort and care. Skills in sport come from practice and good coaching. But an increase in light and truth is acquired through keeping the commandments and in no other way. Light and truth do not come by study alone, nor by effort, practice, coaching, or tutoring. Light and truth come to you from above, as you keep the commandments in your life. You must obey to obtain. The commandments are a revelation to you of God's nature. By keeping them, you obtain from God light and truth as a byproduct of obedience to them. They reveal to you, in a very personal way, what the mind of God is for your life. It is intensely personal because it is all internal. You cannot measure, count, or tally it. You must become something new through this process. Christ defined himself as the fulfillment of God's commandments. When introducing himself to the Nephites he explained, Behold, I am the light and the life of the world. And I have drank out of that bitter cup which the Father hath given me, and have glorified the Father in taking upon me the sins of the world, and the which I have suffered the will of the Father in all things from the beginning, 3 Nephi 5, paragraph 4. He is glorious and worthy of worship, possessing powers, principalities, dominions, kingdoms, and thrones because he did what the Father commanded him to do. The effect of obeying the Father was to fill him with light and truth. By doing what the Father commands, anyone can qualify to receive the same things. Christ was unique in that he alone has done it perfectly. Because of him, however, anyone can do it imperfectly and be forgiven of their sins and errors. His perfection in this undertaking allows all to become a perfect similarity, through his atonement. There is no magic, though. 
There is nothing given without effort. Christ paid the price to allow us to repent. But it is up to each person to choose for themselves the amount of truth and light they are willing to receive. The light and truth one is willing to receive is dependent upon his obedience. How much light and truth are you willing to receive? Christ says, I give unto you these sayings that you may understand and know how to worship, and know what you worship, that you may come unto the Father in my name, and in due time receive of his fullness, TNC 93, paragraph 7. So Christ gives men these sayings to teach them how to worship. This is no idle statement. And this is the essence of what everyone must do to worship the Father. Worship him by keeping his commandments. Keep his commandments to follow the example of his Son. That example allows men to go from grace to grace. Eventually, having grown from grace to grace by keeping his commandments, everyone can receive a fullness. For if you keep my commandments you shall receive of his fullness and be glorified in me as I am glorified in the Father. Therefore, I say unto you, you shall receive grace for grace, TNC 93, paragraph 7. Keeping commandments is not keeping statistics. Nor is it to attract notice from others. It is not to finish some checklist of questions in an interview. It has a deeper meaning and serves a much higher purpose. Would you like to proceed from a lesser to a greater degree of grace? Would you like to receive a fullness of what God offers to mankind in mortality? Then you must worship the Father in this way. He wants you to worship Him by keeping the commandments and growing thereby in light and truth and grace. And no man receives a fullness unless he keeps his commandments. He that keeps his commandments receives truth and light until he is glorified in truth and knows all things, TNC 93, paragraph 9. There is an opposition to getting there. All must face an adversary who is committed to keeping them from receiving light and truth. He knows very well how this process works. Unlike you, he has no doubts about this process. So the adversary directs his efforts to keep men from closing the distance between themselves and God. Interestingly, his role in this process is described with perfect clarity in the scriptures as well, and that wicked one comes and takes away light and truth, through disobedience, from the children of men, and because of the tradition of their fathers, TNC 93, paragraph 11. The adversary is trying to keep you from gaining light and truth. He understands how to do that, get you to disobey the commandments. You think you are just struggling with a problem or weakness. You think you are having some temptation that drives you to distraction. The criticism, complaint, or weakness you have that challenges your faith is not that at all. It is your enemy working on taking light and truth away from you. This is the balance in which you find yourself. Choose the light. Mortal men desire a list of commandments to keep. Many people are sincerely trying to keep the commandments but lack a comprehensive list of them. It is not possible to list all commandments. In one sense, there are only two, love God. Love your fellow man. All others are extensions of those. If you love God you will do what he asks of you. Whenever something comes to your attention he would have you do, you do it. For example, 
Christ was baptized and said to follow him. So because of your love of God, you follow him. But Christ also showed repeatedly that the second commandment was greater than the rules. Keeping the Sabbath day holy, for example, was subordinate to loving and freeing his fellow man. He freed men from sin on the Sabbath by forgiving sins. He freed them from physical injury or disease by healing on the Sabbath. Both were considered work and therefore, an offense to the commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy. At some point you will find that individual service and obedience to God's will for you will create disharmony between you and others. It can't be avoided. If you're following Christ, you will find the same things he found. Helping someone in need will take you away from church meetings on occasion. You can't make a list and keep it, because as soon as you do, the list will interfere with loving God and loving your fellow man. So the whole matter can be reduced to this, follow Christ, receive the ordinances, accept the Holy Ghost, who will teach you all things you must do. Any list beyond that will inevitably result in conflicts and contradictions. Commandments are given to teach men and women how they can continue to receive and renew a continuing conversion to Christ's way of life. Commandments are not a burden to bear, but a roadmap to follow. They are not a measuring stick to judge and then abuse others. It is a light for man to follow. Commandments are often the things that produce condemnation. Encouragement and invitation are almost always the things that produce blessing. Common Consent A principle of decision-making where all participants in a particular group, for example, a fellowship or conference, are eligible to either affirm or reject an action or proposal. Such action can be sought after with either a majority or a unanimous vote. The word consent is used in cases where power, rights, and claims are concerned. We give consent when we yield that which we have a right to withhold, but we do not give consent to a mere opinion or abstract proposition. The early church, established in 1830, governed themselves by common consent, with no man dictating to them. Equality prevailed, and authority was dispersed into equal and independent groups that prevented autocratic rule and guarded against apostasy of the whole body. They conducted all of their business in conferences. Someone would be elected, by common consent, to preside at the conference and to conduct the business. If Joseph Smith was present, it was common for the saints to elect him, but they could have elected anyone. Business could be introduced by anyone, which could include complaints, suggestions, and discipline. The purpose of conferences was to take care of the business and to make sure that the community was cohesive and that issues were dealt with. Although both Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery had the priesthood conferred on them by the voice of God, they only obtained an office in the church by common consent from the body of the church. Even when the founding prophet was in direct communication with the Lord, the church body still retained the final control through common consent, and all things shall be done by common consent in the church, by much prayer and faith, for all things you shall receive by faith, TNC 6, paragraph 1. Today, the right of internal governance within fellowships belongs to the members through their common consent. Because the right to govern arises from this common consent, with no internal hierarchy, the decisions of fellowships can be varied. 
Their decisions may change from time to time, based on experiences. But each fellowship has the right to decide, as well as the right to decide to change. Believers are allowed to organize themselves in any manner they choose. The right to organize stems from common consent given by both men and women. This right is so fundamental that it holds greater right than a first presidency, a 12, a 70, or a high council. All authorities derive their institutional right to preside solely from the consent of the governed. It is through common consent that any right to government is established in the Church. CTNC 6, paragraph 1 and 10, paragraph 4. See also the glossary entry, Sustain. Condemnation to Remove I seek constantly to use the Book of Mormon as a tool to move my understanding upward. I would like to have my meditation informed by passages from that book and to exhaust its contents of meaning. To the extent I succeed in taking the Book of Mormon seriously, I believe it incumbent upon the Lord to remove from me any condemnation resting upon mankind because of disrespect of the Book of Mormon and provide further light and knowledge by revelation, as promised in Alma 9, paragraph 3. CTNC 82, paragraph 20. Consecration. Consecrate. From the root. Kadesh. Means to set something or someone apart as sacred or holy. To pronounce clean. To purify or sanctify. CTNC 82, paragraph 16 and TNC 123, paragraph 5. The antonym is, desecrate. Do not perform anything for the Lord until you have in the first place prayed to consecrate your performance. In 2 Nephi 14, 3 Nephi teaches you how to live the law of consecration. You don't need others to join you. You don't need a city to live where all things are held in common. You only need your own pure intent, acting no hypocrisy, consecrating your performance to the Lord for the welfare of your soul. Speaking in January 1841 of a new location for Zion, the Lord required a temple to be built in Nauvoo and once again offered to establish a protected place for the saints to gather. The Lord offered, and you shall build it on the place where you have contemplated building it, for that is the spot which I have chosen for you to build it. If you labor with all your mights I will consecrate that spot that it shall be made holy. TNC 141, Paragraph 13 Essentially the Lord said, Are you going to build the temple in Nauvoo? I will command you to do it. And if you do it, I will consecrate that spot. I will make that spot holy for you. I will make it so your enemies cannot move you out. I will come there and I will restore to you what has been lost, the fullness. Contention the more one contends with others the more he is taken captive by the spirit of contention. Everyone becomes subject to the spirit they submit to follow. Those who are prone to contention become more contentious as they listen to that spirit. Eventually they are overcome by that spirit and it is a great work involving great effort to subdue and dismiss that spirit from the heart and mind of the victim. There are many who dispute the inspiration others have received. 
There are two concerns with the decision a good person makes to dispute with others. First, the Lord's example is to refrain from disputing, as he did. When confronted, he would respond, but he did not go about picking a fight with others. He responded. The only exception was when he went up to Jerusalem to be slain. Then he went into the seat of Jewish power and authority to throw it down and provoke their decision to finally judge, reject, and crucify him. He, and not they, controlled that timing. His provocation at that time was a deliberate act on his part because his time had come and his sacrifice needed to be made. Second, the Lord has given the doctrine of Christ in Scripture. Just before the doctrine of Christ, he says what his doctrine is not, neither shall there be disputations among you concerning the points of my doctrine, as there hath hitherto been. For verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention. And he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger, one with another. Behold, this is not my doctrine, to stir up the hearts of men with anger, one against another, but this is my doctrine, that such things should be done away, 3 Nephi 5, paragraph 8. And then he proceeds to declare his doctrine of Christ. The more contention and disputation there is with one another, the better the people become at contention. Rhetorical skills are polished. That spirit of contention can take possession, and when it does, one is hard-pressed to be a peacemaker with others. Christ said, And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are all the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are all the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, Matthew 3, paragraphs 10-12. But peace should not be made at the cost of truth. Truth must be the only goal. Truth, however, belongs to God. Desires, appetites, and passions are prone to make people stray well beyond the bounds set by God. Therefore, when pride is gratified, one should question if truth is being advanced. When one's ambition is served, he should question if he is in the Lord's employ or his own. When someone insists upon control, one should question if he is like the Lord or instead, like his adversary. When one uses any means for compelling others, one should wonder if he is mocking the God who makes the sun to shine and rain to fall on all his fallen children without compulsion. When one displays unrighteous dominion, he should question whether he is worthy of any dominion at all. Our tools must be limited to persuasion, gentleness, meekness, love unfeigned, and pure knowledge, with all of them marshaled without compulsory means to persuade others to accept the truth. And if we fail to make the persuasive case, then the problem is not others, the problem is that we've yet to figure out how to be sufficiently knowledgeable so as to bring them aboard. See also the glossary entry, Mutual Agreement. Continuation of Seed Man and woman together, as the image of God, are potentially infinite through their descendants. In a very real sense, through their posterity, Adam and Eve are still here. Although all will die, all will also endure throughout ages of mortality, like God, by multiplying to replenish the earth. Adam and Eve became in the image of God. This is at the core of redemption, the core of the work of God. This is what it means for God to complete His work and to have the continuation of the seeds.
Therefore the marriage covenant is needed for all those who would likewise seek to obtain from me the right to continue their seed into eternity, for only through marriage can thrones and kingdoms be established, TNC 157-43.